Good morning. Welcome to Memorial Methodist Church. I'd like to welcome any visitors we have this morning. We hope you find Memorial to be very hospitable and you'll come back to visit with us again. At this time, if you have any prayer requests, we're going to have to ask the ushers to come forward. And if you would, get an index card, write it down on that, and we will include that during our prayer time. A couple announcements to start with. Um, next week, beginning next Sunday at 6 p.m., Vacation Bible School starts. It'll be Camp Discovery. Uh, you can go online to register. Um, that's the only announcement I have at this time. I'll include a few more announcements during our prayer time. So let's begin. Will you stand and worship with us? My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days, I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. My comfort, my to be here together this morning and to see all of the faces that are able to be here and to be able to come together as one congregation and maybe get to see some of those friends that we don't see as often as we'd like to. Bless us this morning and bring us into your presence. Help us to feel your glory and your love. Focus our hearts and our minds on you now as we prepare to worship your name. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Will you turn to someone near you and tell them how glad you are to see them this morning? And children, come forward for the children's sermon. This morning, we're going to talk about the gospel in a nutshell. Have you ever heard of that saying before? Okay. Well, what if we wanted to tell one of our very best friends about God's love? What would we say to them? That's kind of a hard question at first. We know that everything we need to know about God's love is in what book? The Bible. Right. So we could take our Bible, and we could go to our friend's house, and we could read to them about God's love. But what should we read? The Bible is divided into two parts. Do you know what they are? The New Testament and the Old Testament. You got it. The Old Testament and the New Testament. But that means that there are 66 books, 1,189 chapters, and 31,173 verses. That sounds a little scary, doesn't it? Yeah? Well, it would be easy for us to be overwhelmed by those numbers and kind of feel lost and confused. So what if we shrink down the message of God's love so small that it could fit in a little nutshell? Do you think we can do that? Yes. You do? Well, I think it would be great if we could, and I think we can do it this morning. If you search in a book or on the computer for the top 10 verses in the Bible, and then search for the top 10 verses that people know from the Bible about love and read the most often, can you guess what that verse might be? It's probably one that we all know. Can you think of anything? Do you know what John 3.16 says? Does that sound familiar? What if I started out? For God so loved the world that y'all do know it. And that's pretty good news, isn't it? All summed up in that verse. That's everything that we need to know about God's love. So let's take a closer look at what that verse means. Who is the verse about? God, right? What does God do? If we had to say it in one word, could you say love? That's what that verse tells us. Okay. Who does God love? Thinking about that verse. Okay. The world. So that includes you and me and everyone else. What did God do to show his love? What did that verse tell us that God did? Exactly. He gave his one and only son. And what do we do in return? What is the only thing we have to do? Trust and believe. And what is our reward when we believe? Where do we go? That's right. Eternal life in heaven. 
So the Bible is full of the promises of God's love, and you and I should be ready to share those promises with our friends. We should read our Bible daily and study to learn more about it, but we should also remember that we can share the gospel in a teeny tiny nutshell by remembering that God so loved the world and each and every one of us that he gave his only son. Isn't that a pretty good thought? Okay, let's close this morning with a prayer together. Repeat after me. Dear Father, we thank you for your love, a love so great that you gave your one and only Son so that we could have eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks. Recently, Daryl Richforth led a team from Memorial Methodist up to the Redbird Mission in Kentucky, and they're going to come forward at this time to share some of their experience with us. Thank you, Bill. Uh, Bill said that we could uh, have about 45 minutes, so I hope we don't bore you. Uh, <laughs> on uh, May the 3rd, a group of five of us and Kathy, Ellen, Mike, and myself went to Redbird Mission. It's up in Beverly, Kentucky. And uh, our uh, Methodist Conference uh, supports Redbird. So we were uh, very grateful for, to be able to do this trip. And we're also thankful to the, this church and to the various circles and individuals who supported the trip. It meant a lot to us to be, uh, be able to help the people up there. There's, uh, the depth of poverty is uh, something you wouldn't believe, but uh, we were uh, able to do a lot and learn a lot about each other. And I'm going to offer the mic to anybody else who would like to say a few things. Kathy? Um, before I went on this mission, I had become involved in a Bible study I was doing called Revival, and I took the book with me, and the chapter I happened to be on that week, I picked the book up one, one day after we got back from our work site, and I sat down reading it, and, you know, sometimes when, when those things happen, or you're involved in a Bible study, and it, it's just like, wow, was this not a really appropriate Bible study to be doing when you're going on a little mission trip? You know, I don't guess that's really a coincidence, is it? God's, God's in control. Um, but when I picked this up and started reading it when I was up there, it was like kind of wow, one of those wow moments. Um, this is written by Adam Hamilton, and it's about John Wesley and, um, and his journey through faith. And this particular chapter talked a lot about the necessity of grace. And um, we, we are saved by grace, and we know what what grace means when we are saved by grace, but I thought this was just a very good um, 
definition of it, and it really touched me. Grace, as Paul uses it, is an act of kindness, an expression of selfless love that is completely undeserved and is given without any expectation of repayment. That's what we are given when we're given grace, when we're saved by God. Then he goes on to say, we are never more like God than when we are giving selflessly to others. Because God created us to live in this way, we seldom feel more alive and joyful than when we are serving, blessing, and helping someone else. That's grace. And we were given the opportunity at Redbird to share that grace. And I don't want this to be a commercial for Redbird. Redbird was a great place uh, for, for me to, to, uh, to serve. I would go back again. It's very well organized, runs very smoothly. We had a great time getting to know each other better and the group with Aldersgate we were with. Um, but you, you know, as well as I do, that you can serve anywhere. You, can, you serve in this church. You serve in your community. Um, but it just really, you know, it's kind of one of those aha moments when you say, when you're serving, when you're serving God, you are more like God than at any other time. So I just, you know, one of those aha. The week when we got to the Redbird Mission, I just had to stop and think because the day before that was the Kentucky Derby that I'd watched on TV, where you've got some of the richest people in our whole country. Then we went to serve in a place that some of the poorest of the poor in our country, but in the same state, but in eastern Kentucky. And when we got there, it kept running through my mind that we're called, whatever we do for the least of these, it's our offering to Jesus, and that we have to be his hands and his feet in this world. And I thought about the uh, closing that we sing is take to the world. And you know, that's what we have to do, not just be you know, insulated where we are, but think about what we can do for others. And a sidelight that I wasn't expecting was, you know, getting closer to all my friends here and the people from Aldersgate and also the people, you know, from other churches who were there. So our first work day was Monday. And when we came back behind our cabin, there was a little old rock barracks or something that probably hadn't been used in decades. And this work crew, just like us, but master builders, all day had cleaned that place out and they had laid all the beams for a whole flooring to build an upper story on that. And I think one example to me, they had a guy with them named Chuck, and I believe he was 92. <laughs> and he was right up there, you know, on that roof and everything, working with everybody else. So, you know, that was really great and that's a lot to remember. And another thing that I didn't expect was just unplugging from your electronics 
for a week, pretty much. <laughs> and not having a to-do list, like, oh man, I've got to run these errands today. So it ended up being a real spiritual blessing in that way too, you know, just a chance to reflect. They had a bonfire at night and other places you could just, you know, meet Christians of like mind from other places, you know, different parts of the country. So that was really great to know that the United Methodist Church has a mission like that, and it isn't that far away from where we live, and, and I hope we'll do that every year and maybe have some of you join with us next time, too. I'm going to tell you a little bit about leading up to Redbird. I was probably the most apprehensive person ever to try to go on a mission trip. I said, Lord, I can't paint. I can't caulk. I can't do any of that. And I said, please, just send somebody else and don't send me. And I, I kept going on and on and on. And even the day before we were supposed to go, Mom's blood pressure started going everywhere. And I said, Lord, I'm really not supposed to go. Send somebody else. There's no Wi-Fi there. There's no bathtub there. There's no fan there. There's no Diet Coke there. <laughs> so please send somebody else. But I ended up going, and it was the most wonderful experience ever, and I will definitely go back. One night, Mike and I were sitting on the porch, and we watched the moon come up over the mountains. And you really do get back to nature, and you get back to the things that God created for us. So I'm just issuing, issuing you an invitation to let you know that you can do these things, because I really did not want to go, and now it's the most wonderful thing I've done. You can see the strength of this church by these folks. I'd like to thank Daryl for his leadership, for directing us and encouraging us and, and um, offering the opportunity to go to the Redbird Mission. But when you hear these three ladies talk about their experience, um, the folks who were at Redbird also came to us and said, you know, we weren't really sure how the ladies from Memorial Methodist were going to work out, but they outworked a lot of the men. And now if you need painting or caulking of your outside of your house, they, they have shared those talents with folks in, in uh, Kentucky, and they would be happy to share it here. It truly is an honor to represent this church, and thank you for your support for allowing us to go. Thank you for your words, because we got some text and, e and um, um, messages, text messages and some emails on Wednesday morning, and Wednesday is kind of the middle of the week, and it was very encouraging and refreshing to hear from home and see the, um, the, the and hear the prayers and the words that were being sent to us. Um, we didn't have a lot of uh, electronics, and it was kind of interesting as we were driving up the road one morning, everybody's cell phones started beeping and talking and squawking, and we all knew we were getting lots of text messages that we hadn't had for a couple of days. But once you unplug from all that, you realize that when you're serving your neighbor and working to help others, you know, our mission was to help this young family uh, prepare their house for a winter. But at the end of the day, we did a lot of work that glorified God and did that in the presence of a lot of friends that we now have from around the U.S. So thank you for allowing us to go to represent you. And we look forward to going back even with no bathtubs, no Coca-Colas, no fans, and watch the moon rise over the mountains of eastern Kentucky.
We'd like to thank that mission team for the way they've represented this church and Christianity in general. A couple announcements um, with prayer this morning. Uh, first one is Harriet Johnson's brother Billy passed away early this morning, so keep that family in your prayers. Um, also, uh, Jenny Say's mother fell and broke her hip, and she will be having surgery today at 1 p.m., so keep her in your prayers as well. well let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this church, the many blessings you've into this church throughout the years. We thank you for the mission work that has been done by many in this church. Please continue to guide this church as we go through a transition period from one pastor to the next. Please guide the people in how to lead this church and continue to bless us and spread your, your gospel message to the world. We ask special prayers for a co-worker who's going through medical problems another co-worker who is diagnosed with breast cancer, and prayers for a friend who has been placed into hospice. We thank you for all the many blessings you've given, and please be with these people and be with us as we pray the prayer that you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I was telling Daryl earlier when we were talking about how much time they would have to speak that he didn't have to worry about it because those who come to the contemporary service, they're used to getting out 10, so their mind has already stopped working. Those who come to traditional, they're used to staying until noon, so we've got plenty of time. Our scripture this morning is going to come from Mark chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And in this scripture, we find Jesus at the house of Matthew, the tax collector. This is sometime after he's been called to be a disciple. And in this scripture, he'll be referred to as Levi instead of Matthew. So let's go to the Word of God. While he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also guests with Jesus and his disciples, because there were many who were following him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he told them, Those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do need one. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In just four weeks, this church will welcome a new pastor to its pulpit. He will be the 39th pastor in the 133 years of this church. In my 16 years in this church, we've had five pastors. The average length of a Methodist pastor to stay at one church is about four years, although there's been a trend to let them stay a little bit longer. We've had some of our recent pastors stay for eight or more years. With the new pastor, we get new ideas and new perspectives. This practice of moving around pastors goes back to John Wesley. He wrote... We have found by long and consistent experience that a frequent exchange of preachers is best. This preacher has one talent, that another. No one whom I ever yet knew has all the talents which are needful for beginning, continuing, and perfecting the work of grace in a whole congregation. 
in many of the big mega churches, it's hard to distinguish the church from the pastor. If the pastor falters, often the church ceases to exist. In the Methodist church, though, the pastor might become the face of the church during his or her tenure, but the body of the church is the people who remain from one pastor to the next. When Pastor Joe Cade arrives, he's going to find a church body that is rich in history, a church that has its roots and families that has been handed off from one generation to another. If you're here this morning and you're not related to a Dobson in some way, odds are you're like me. You're not from around here. The body of this church has a record and reputation for supporting local Greer Ministries, the Salkahatchee Missions, and the Redbird Mission we heard of just a few moments ago. I believe the first time I spent any time with Wayne Morris was when this church was doing a charitable act of building a Habitat for Humanity house. Wayne clearly knew what he was doing. I, on the other hand, am more suited for building an airplane and making a four-year project last 20 years. <laughs> When Wayne's daughter, Leanna, partnered with Samaritan's Purse to build a church in Pakistan, this church was there to support her and the mission. This church has come together to support the Ellen Project to help a young girl in Uganda through her childhood. And these are great examples. It is good to take care of the needy. As Christians, we have a calling to do that. It is something that should flow out of our love for God. But taking care of the needy isn't unique to the Christian church. The Piedmont humanists and the upstate atheists also help the needy. The Mormons and the Muslims also fund numerous charities. If the church is only about helping the needy, is there any reason we can give for someone to join us instead of these other groups? Is there anything unique that the Christian church has to offer? In John 6, 31-35, Jesus is speaking to some Jews, and they're asking him for some signs from heaven. They said, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I assure you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the real bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir... Give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. There's a scene in the movie Titanic showing the panic as the boat is sinking. And in the midst of this panic, the, ship, ships began, the ship's band begins to play Nearer My God to Thee and continues as the ship sinks. Ultimately, they're playing was futile, useless. It saved no one. Any soothing it may have done became meaningless the moment that was soothed sank to the bottom of the sea. That is how our helping the needy is if we don't also offer the bread of life. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthians that if our hope is only for this life, we should be pitied more than anyone. During my 16 years in this church, members of this church have come and gone by birth and death. Some people married into this church, some were taken away by marriage. We've gained some good people, some by transfer of membership, and we've lost some good people. I see many people here this morning that have come to us in just the past few years and are very active participants and valuable additions to this church family. I also remember many families that would regularly worship with us. They served on committees and had children in our various children's program. 
but they're no longer worshiping with us. Their reasons range from things like a desire to worship closer to home, or to a feeling that they were outsiders, or to a belief that passion and substance is missing in this church. Overall, attendance has pretty much broken even. A Sunday attendance of around 250 has been the norm over the years. Is that where we want to be? Many people are comfortable with the church attendance this size. Not too small and not so big that you get lost in the crowd. Churches of all sizes can do the work of the Lord, and different sizes work for different people. Asking if the size of our church is right probably isn't the right question. The right question is probably, what is God's mission for our church, and are we accomplishing it? In Mark 16:15, Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. We are told to go into all the world, but we don't even need to do that. The world has come to us. Last time a Jehovah's Witness came to your door, did you share the gospel message with them, or did you get rid of them as quickly as possible? That's an opportunity we can't let go to waste. According to a recent study, there are about 209,000 people living in this area of Greer. Only 21% believe that attending a religious service is important. Only 16% believe that their faith is important. Of those two numbers, I don't know how many would be considered unchurched. I think there are a lot of people that regularly attend church, but don't find it or their faith to be important. It's just a cultural ritual for them. Regardless of that, we're looking at about 35 to 40,000 people that need to hear the gospel message. I moved to this area in 1992. The landscape is vastly different now. BMW arrived about that time, and not only did our local economy change, but also the cultural landscape changed. People from all over the world live outside, right outside the doors of this church. Our mission field has come to us. God has brought the world to Greer. We have people living in this area that come from countries where the idea of God is not a serious consideration. We have other people that believe there are many gods. And then we have other people that believe there is a God, and it is them. Have you heard the story about the psychiatrist that was doing his rounds in the mental ward? Came across a man who was sitting up in bed and had his hand tucked into his robe. The psychiatrist asked him, what is your name? And the man replied, Napoleon Bonaparte. The psychiatrist asked him, who told you your name is Napoleon Bonaparte? And he replied, God did. Immediately, the man in the bed next to him sat up and said, I did not. <laughs> we need to reach the people in our area. It is our duty. It is God's mission for this church. But this is something that needs to be done by the people of this church. The pastor plays a part. But we, the people of this church, need to make this happen. When was the last time you saw an adult come forward in this church to get baptized, professing that they were lost, and they came to this church and heard the gospel and found the Lord and were dedicating their life to Christ? We need to have events like this happen in this church. Once we show them the gospel, we need to provide valuable lessons that will give them a reason to come to worship. Another study, this one specifically on Methodist churches in the United States, found that only 40% of the people on the membership rolls attend worship services. South Carolina was consistent with the national average. That's a pretty sad statistic. 
We need to lead people to Christ and then give them valuable lessons with substance that they can grow with. We need to teach that there are rights and wrongs and that not all beliefs are true. We need to go beyond the surface and get deep into the gospel. As some might say, Bill, crazy people go off the shallow end. They don't, they don't go off the shallow end. They go off the deep end. We don't want crazy drowning people in here. I remember once hearing complaints that a former pastor's sermons were too deep over people's heads. We owe it to people and to God to not give shallow lessons. We need to provide a deep understanding of Christianity. We are told to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind. Let's drown people in the gospel. Our current pastor is Joseph Curtis. Initials, J.C. Our next pastor is Joe Kate. Initials, J.C. What if in four weeks our pastor wasn't going to be Joe Kate, but instead was a different person with the initials J.C., Jesus Christ? Imagine that. What do you think our attendance would be each Sunday if we had Jesus in the pulpit? I remember years ago when I first served on the Staff Parish Relations Committee, we were transitioning to a new pastor and the district superintendent declared that we were the church that would accept none other than Jesus as our pastor. It sounds great. It wouldn't be possible to get anyone more qualified. Surely all the congregation would, would be pleased, or would they? What if Jesus told bad jokes? This church was cursed with bad jokes for many years. Could we endure more? What if Jesus preached long sermons, even going beyond noon? Let's not forget that Jesus had absolutely no seminary training. We read about Jesus feeding thousands with bread and fish. But this is South Carolina, where it's all about chicken, beef, and pork. Would this church stand idly by for a fish fry? I wonder what version of the Bible Jesus would use. Some say the King James Version was good enough for Peter and Paul. Maybe it was good enough for Jesus. I know many expressed a desire to have a younger pastor, but would Jesus be too young? He was only about 30. If you're one that wants a politically correct, feel-good sermon, Jesus probably isn't the pastor for you. When Christians preach the word of, words of Jesus today, they are called hurtful, intolerant, and out of touch with society. Often this is by other so-called Christians that claim the words of Jesus have been misinterpreted. They would probably tell Jesus that he has misinterpreted his own words. We like the idea of having a young pastor and his young family in the parsonage. Jesus didn't have a young family. Instead, he had a following. We read earlier in the scripture that Jesus kept company with well-known sinners of the day. Would we be okay with them hanging out in the parsonage? How would we react if Jesus, as our pastor, brought in the homeless, prostitutes, drug addicts, maybe even a tax collector, and set them down here on the front row? Might not look much different than this group we have on the front row, but anyway. Some of you might say that it wouldn't be that big a deal. You already worship with gamecocks or tigers each Sunday. How, how much worse could it be? We have had some people come to this church that didn't look like us or displayed a lifestyle that wasn't like us. Did we handle it the way Jesus would want? Probably not, myself included. I think if we were all honest, we would say there were uncomfortable moments and probably moments of hoping other visitors wouldn't notice these out-of-place characters. 
Do we want to go to a church with just people that look like us? It's probably human nature. Do we find ourselves okay with evangelizing to the sinners of the world as long as they become Christians and become like us before they come into our church? I remember when I was in school up at UNC Asheville, sitting in an auditorium before a class began, and saw a guy come in with an earring. Now, that wasn't a common thing to see back then. I was sitting with some friends, and we quickly began to debate the significance of which ear the earring was in. Was it left ear okay, right ear stay away, or was it the other way around? We couldn't remember, we couldn't figure it out, so we just concluded we would stay away from the guy. As far as we were concerned, there's only one guy that's okay wearing an earring. And his first name's Mr., and his last name is T. <laughs> Nowadays, it's much more common and acceptable to see a guy with an earring, but not so acceptable that any guy with, any, with one will ever date either one of my daughters. <laughs> you got that, Lauren, wherever you're at? I want to be clear, I'm not saying that we just welcome all people in all lifestyles and accept them all and just say, it's all good, man. It's not all good, but neither are we. Jesus said there's none good but God. Jesus died for all people. He came for the sinners, not the self-proclaimed saints. He came for the really bad sinners and the not-so-bad sinners. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. It is not our place to determine who is worthy of entering His kingdom. We like to live in a sterilized environment, but there is nothing sterile about the sacrifice on the cross. Jesus was a beaten and bloodied man even before being nailed to a cross. Even though the movies of today have made us numb to some shocking actions, I have doubts that any of us could have stood by and watched the beating Jesus took as if we were spectators at a sporting event. He didn't go through all that torture, humiliation, and rejection for a select few. He did it for all the world, for all mankind, past, present, and future. It is the only hope we have. It is the one act that saves every other act in this world from being futile, useless. And this act is unique to Christianity. Only Christianity provides a way to salvation. Some say that it is intolerant to say that. To that I would say, Sometimes the truth hurts. It is better to speak the truth than to give it up in the interest of not hurting someone's feelings. When the truth is sacrificed for feelings, something more serious than feelings will be destroyed. And when the church blends into the society in the interest of a false idea of appearing inclusive and loving, the church becomes irrelevant. God has positioned this church for great opportunity. The world is here. The gospel message is true. The crucifixion, burial, and bodily resurrection of Jesus are actual events that took place in history. The God of all creation came to this earth as a man to live amongst the people he created and was beaten and executed by these same people. But despite all that, he still provided a way for salvation for these same people. The hard work is done. We have the easy job. All we have to do is share the story. Amen. At this time, can we stand and reaffirm our faith using the modern affirmation of faith? We are not alone. We live in God's world. We believe in God who has created and is creating, who has come in Jesus, the Word made flesh, to reconcile and make new, who works in us and others by the Spirit. We trust in God. 
We are called to be the church, to celebrate God's presence, to love and serve others, to seek justice and resist evil, to proclaim Jesus, crucified and risen, our judge and our hope, in life and death and life beyond death. God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen. At this time, let us worship God with our offerings. Maybe. <laughs> Amen. 
don't matter Weak or strong You know love is what we're after We're all broken but we're all in this together God knows we stumble and we fall And He so loved the world He sent a song to save us all And all the people said amen said amen whoa, whoa. and all the people said amen give thanks to the Lord for his love never ends and all the people said amen and all the people said amen whoa, whoa. and all the people said amen give thanks to the Lord for his love never ends and peace that has blessed this church through many years will continue to bless it in the future. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Take to